Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Offstage Me podcast. My name is Michael and you might know me as a stationary reviewer on Instagram and YouTube. In this week's episode, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the pens in my collection. I'm calling it my pen stories. So I have a little handful of pens here that I'm going to talk through uh, and talk about why I like them, why I've kept them, and kind of like, you know, any emotional or interesting story about me with that pen. But first, let's do a what's new and a Q&A. So what is new with me? Well, firstly, I have a couple of new pens in my hand this week. The Hongdian C1 arrived. Now, this is a pen that costs under 10 Australian dollars, and I think it's pretty remarkable. It's got that Parker-style hooded nib. Uh, it's a metal-bodied pen, uh, but it's very simple, very clean. It's a very fine nib, uh, but it writes just so well. It's a beautiful writer, and it's got a lovely feel in the hand. I'm really impressed with what I'm seeing from Hongdian. So uh, I've got those three that I mentioned in the past, the A6, the N7, and the N10, which uh, I'll be reviewing soon. And then a little while after that, I'll do a little review of the C1 as well. Uh, so thank you to the viewers who suggested that pen for me to look at. It's kind of remarkable. I I like what Hongdian are doing in the price range where they work. Uh, there's a couple of brands that I think from China who uh, have fallen behind or dropped the ball a little bit. But I think companies like Jinhao are starting to pick up what they're doing. Wing Sung are doing some interesting things again. But Hongdian seem to be the brand for me uh, that are really sort of uh, pushing what they can do and improving what they do and producing stuff that are really super high quality. So I'm very happy to be using those pens and uh, surprised at how much I enjoy them, to be perfectly honest. Another new pen in my hand this week, and this one is exciting, uh, is the pen from Mark's Innovative Gear. Uh, and I've got two. I got the fountain pen and I got the bolt action ballpoint pen in copper. Both of them are in copper and they make an amazing pair of pens. Um, I haven't reviewed a whole lot of copper pens over the years. I, I remember one that I reviewed from Enso. It's a material I enjoy. It's a material I like the feel of in the hand. Uh, and so these two from Mark's Innovative Gear are just beautiful. The ballpoint uh, refill, the, the Schmidt Easy Flow refill is gorgeous to write with. The mechanism on that bolt action is really, really nice as well. It's kind of one of the smoothest, most relaxed bolt actions that I've used. Uh, and I enjoy that a lot. I love the weight of that pen in my hand. I've been using that kind of like as a everyday carry pen for work where I can't use a fountain pen that much. And then the fountain pen from Mark's Innovative Gear, MIG, uh, is beautiful. It writes so well. At the moment, I have it inked up with um, Diamine uh, Colt Pens exclusive from their Seven Wonders of the World collection, um, the Colosseum one, which is like a almost like a pastel coppery color. Uh, I'm using that in it at the moment simply because I wanted to do some artwork with that ink. Uh, and so... I thought it was an interesting choice, but once I'm done with that, I, I don't know if I'll write that ink out or if I'll clean it out, but I really, really want to put Diamine Ancient Copper in that pen, and that's probably what I'll review the pen with, I think, because that's a great ink, and it's a great match to that pen. I think it's going to be really, really lovely. But I'm really enjoying those pens. I love the build quality. Uh, I love the way that they are presented, um, and I got a little notebook from them as well, which uh, I'm looking forward to testing out and all of that. 
So there's lots to look at with that, lots to enjoy. Review of that coming, probably, I'm probably going to sort of expedite it slightly to the end of January, simply because um, I really like it and I want to get it out there. So that's coming. So keep an eye out for that. As I mentioned, the Seven Wonders uh, ink uh, range from Dye Mine, which were exclusive to Colt Pens. So they there's an ink for each of the Seven Wonders of the World. So Christ the Redeemer, the Colosseum, Taj Mahal, Machu Picchu, all those. They're really beautiful inks. The Taj Mahal is a beautiful saturated blue. That's actually what's in my Hongdian C1 at the moment. So I'm doing little artworks based on each of those Seven Wonders uh, using the ink named after each of them. Very simple little sketches and then like a little bit of water wash of the ink and that kind of stuff. Nothing too elaborate. I'll probably post them on my Instagram uh, to both show off the ink, but also show some of my little sketches and things over the next couple of weeks. But at the moment, I have each of those in a pen and I really, really like them. Diamine do beautiful inks and their collaborations with Colt Pens have always been really great. Those are that Summer Fruit series and all those kinds of things as well. Just really nice. The other thing I'm doing this January is my ink of the day and some of those other things like the Seven Wonders inks. But generally what I'm doing is just like a lucky dip out of my samples box. So I've got this container which uh, I think is like a nine litre container, almost full of ink samples that I'm really trying to work my way through, both to see what I want to get bottles of, but also because some of these have been, I've been sitting with for years uh, and I think it's time they get sort of used. Uh, so I've been working my way through those and so doing this ink a day through January has been an interesting way of rediscovering a couple of inks. Like one I really enjoyed rediscovering was Colorverse Einstein Ring. I think that's a wonderful, wonderful ink. And also Bungbox uh, Sweet Potato Yellow. I want to do some artwork with that ink. I think it's a beautiful, bright, vibrant yellow that is still readable on the page, which is really, really great. But so yeah, I'm th I don't know if I'll continue this into February, but at the moment, just this ink a day through January. Um, it's been fun. It's been nice to rediscover a couple of inks. So that is what's new. Now I'm going to do a couple of Q&A questions um, that aren't necessarily Q&A questions, but are questions that have come up. So on one of my YouTube videos um, about Australian-made fountain pens, um, a viewer commented on uh, one of the pens using a Chinese nib. So Australian-made pens with Chinese nibs is a question. And I wanted to address a couple of things in relation to this. So firstly, yes, the pen in question was one of the Just Turnings pen uh, that uses the Jinhao number eight size nib that comes on things like the X159 and the 9019, those kinds of pens. This is a, actually a pretty decent nib and with a tiny bit of tuning, you can make it a really wonderful nib, but it's also a super affordable number eight size nib. And number eight size nibs are a bit of a thing at the moment. I recently saw a video where SBRE Brown mentioned, um, you know, fads that run through the community. You know, at one point it was shading inks, then it was she super sheening inks. Um, and remind me to come back at some point to super sheening inks because there's some stuff to talk about here uh, in a future episode. And at the moment, one of the fads is for number eight size nibs. Now, do they provide an ergonomic difference to the pen? Do they provide any difference in writing experience? Yes and no. Firstly, I think the number eight size nib, if you've got bigger hands, puts your hand at an interesting distance 
away from the page when you're writing. It's why I prefer number six size nibs to number five size nibs and why in last week's podcast episode, Michael and I discussed the number five sort of size nib on something like the Waterman Expert fountain pen which then has a little area, a little bit of plastic between the end of the nib and the grip section to allow the distance between your fingers and the page to be in an ergonomic position. So for my hand, the number eight size nib is as far away from the page as I would want to be for everyday writing. I know a lot of people like the bigger nib aesthetically. It suits a lot of pens. I get that and I appreciate that and I like that too. But for me, the... Pens come down to two major things. Firstly, how the tip of the nib feels on the page. And then secondly, the ergonomics of the pen and how I enjoy writing with it. If I don't enjoy writing with a pen, I'm not going to keep using it. I'm going to move that pen on. A number eight size nib, as I said, is kind of like the outer limit of what I think I would feel comfortable for everyday writing with. The number six size nib feels right to me. So pens with number six size nibs, I'm thinking a lot of those Yovo number six pens that we all have in our collection from custom makers and also a lot of brands like, you know, Estabrook and Franklin Christoph and all those kinds of brands that use that size nib. It's a really good size for the ergonomics and that's why it's become so popular. Will the number eight size nib supersede that? I don't know. More and more brands are making them and more and more brands are making them available for other pens so there's like the Bok number eight size nib that is pretty now widely available uh, to pen makers so there's always that option but I get back to the Jinhao the Jinhao nib is pretty affordable now you can buy that nib on its own you can buy on places like eBay and AliExpress uh, Jinhao number eight size nibs like in a pack of three for less than ten dollars which makes it a very, very affordable choice. Now, that doesn't come with the feed and the housing and stuff that you need. Um, so if you want to replace a Jinhao nib on a Jinhao pen, you could kind of do that. But even buying a 9019 or a 159 for that sort of 12 to 16 Australian dollar mark, which is what I see them advertised for on, once again, eBay, AliExpress, those kinds of sites uh, quite regularly, that makes it a pretty affordable choice to just use for the Nibbon housing. So that's what, and that's what Just Turnings had done with that pen. Took the Nibbon housing from an X159 and built a body around it using his beautiful material. And that material was one that was um, designed in consultation with me, the colours I was looking for, teals and dark blues and that kind of thing. So it's a beautiful, beautiful pen uh, and it's a beautiful material. And with a tiny bit of tuning, that nib became something that makes it such a glorious everyday writer. It's a slightly bigger pen. And so, you know, as I said, ergonomically, it is about as far as I would want to go personally, but it's an interesting nib size. It's an interesting option. Now, also, Just Turnings uses a lot of nibs from German makers. And now the Taiwanese maker, Cyprus, but he has Yovo nibs, Bok nibs, and Cyprus nibs. And on that larger size, he made a pen with a Jinhao number eight size nib. So there are lots of options for nibs. Now, does that mean the Chinese nibs are any better or any worse? No, it just makes them another option. Uh, there are nib factories in China that are producing nibs at a higher quality than some of the other makers. 
and brands are getting in on this and there's a lot of brands who get their nibs made by those factories. It's what's happening, it's what we see. Now, there are nibs on pens from Moonman and Asvine that, and even you know the, the nibs on the Narwhal pens and the pen BBS and things like that, that just do not write well. I do not enjoy them. They are not my kind of nib. The Jinhao number eight size nib, I really enjoy that. I've actually enjoyed a lot of the Jinhao nibs. And they're all kind of made by the same people in the same factories and they're tuned in bulk and all of that. So there is a little bit of quality control, but you are getting a very affordable nib and a very affordable nib option. And so I enjoy them because for a very reasonable price, I can get a pen that takes maybe a little bit of tuning. I might polish it a little bit or I'm not afraid to do little nib grinds on it and things like that. I can do that on those nibs without having to worry. Now, would I be worried about grinding a Yovo nib? No, I would still do that, but I certainly wouldn't want to be doing that with a gold nib from Pilot or Aurora or something like that. So these Chinese nibs are an option. The Taiwanese Cypress nibs should definitely become an option. And of course, Yovo, Bock and Schmidt are always going to be there. But as long as the nib writes well and the pen it's in feels good in my hand, to me, it doesn't matter if the nib is steel or gold or palladium or whatever, as long as it performs. And there's a number of brands that are making nibs that just do not perform or that do not interest me. The Jinhao number eight does. And as I said, if that's going to be an option for people, I don't see it as a bad option. That's the end of my little rant about that. And then the final question that I want to address today, I was doing a shift at the stationery store I work at. And someone brought in a Y-Studio fountain pen. Y-Studio is a brand I enjoy a lot. I have a Y-Studio fountain pen in my collection currently. I'm not sure if it's going to stay in my collection. It's not because it's not a great pen. It's just because it's a pen that I don't reach for that often because I have pens that I do reach for. Uh, it's not that it's a bad pen. It writes beautifully. It feels very nice in the hand. It's very practical. It's just not one I've been reaching for. And I think I can maybe pass it on to someone who might use it more. But anyway, a customer brought one in because the housing, the nib and housing was spinning as they were writing. They asked if I could have a look at it for them and that's what I do there, so I did. And I knew instantly what the problem would be because I've seen it before. So Y Studio have a beautifully engineered housing and section for their pen. The cartridge converter pen and the converter goes into the back of the section like any standard cartridge converter and then the nib housing screws into the front of the section and the section on mine and the one that was brought in is made of brass it's lovely it's a slim section but it's lovely but the spinning housing i have seen and that is simply because you are not screwing the housing directly into the section it's actually attached through the back so while this may only be uh, an issue for some people, um, if your Y-Studio pen does become loose there, just make sure that at the back of the housing, behind the threads that thread into the barrel of the pen, that the little brass section behind that is screwed down tight because that actually holds the threads that screw into the back of the nib unit. 
so the section sort of is a sleeve that fits around that and that little brass bit behind the threads will actually lock it all together nice and tight. Now the reason I'm mentioning this today is not, as I said, not because this is a common problem for a lot of people, something to be aware of, but because there are often issues with pens that we don't, you know, know or address and we think the pen is a dud or that there's something wrong with it. For instance, the Enso Italia in the Altum, um, if that nib housing isn't entirely screwed down into the section and ink gets up in it, you actually get a lot of uh, ink leaking. It's just the way the pen is engineered. It doesn't quite fit together unless it is absolutely snug. So always look at the details. If you're not comfortable taking your pen apart and having a look at it, get someone who is. Like if you contact your local pen shop or any pen shop or find a local pen group, there's always going to be someone who's happy to tinker. I'm always happy tinkering with pens. I've got a pretty good pen knowledge now after reviewing a few hundred pens and owning over the years probably close to oh, 500 and something fountain pens. And I tinker with all of them. I take them all apart to some degree um, because I like to know the, how they all work and the engineering and everything. This person would have, if they didn't bring it in, probably would have put the pen in a drawer and it would never have seen the light of day again because that uh, nib spinning, the nib housing spinning around was just a bit frustrating for them. Always put the effort in uh, to have the optimal experience from your pen. If the nib isn't writing the way you want it to write, send it to a nib grinder or a nib tuner. Don't let a pen fade into nothing and sit in a drawer. Um, and also clean your pens. Don't put them away in drawers with ink in them um, because pens need love too. So yeah, that was my interesting little Y Studio uh, experience. So always keep that sort of thing in mind. Okay, so we move on to the main topic for today's video, which, as I said, is my pen stories. And I have a, a few pens here that I want to discuss the stories behind. And I'll just go one by one through them. And I'm going to start with the Parker Sonnet. This is a pen I haven't really discussed that much, um, but it is a pen I've had for a long time. Uh, and as I'm talking about each of these pens, I've got them here in front of me in, a, in my hand. And the Parker Sonnet is a pen I I don't use a whole lot now. I like the Parker Sonnet. It's not my favourite Parker. I like the vintage Parkers and I like my Parker Dual Fault Centennial, which I'm going to be talking about next, uh, two Parkers today. It's a brand I really respect for their history, but not so much for a lot of the pens they're producing now, unfortunately. I would love to see them innovate. I'd love to see them take a step towards being a modern pen company, uh, not just producing $30 pens for your local stationery store and then trash. Parker it, really good pen, lovely pen, beautiful gold nib on it, all of that. Now, my story behind this pen is this is actually the first fountain pen I got. And I knew nothing about fountain pens. I think I was maybe 15 when I got this, maybe 16 at a stretch. And I've spoken a little bit about this in some videos about my history of it, but basically I was training as a young opera singer, a young singer. I was passionate about opera. I was listening and watching as much opera as I could, but I grew up in a town, uh, Hobart in Tasmania, where there isn't a whole lot of live opera performance you can get to. And flying to Melbourne or Sydney uh, to go and see the operas as a 15, 16 year old just wasn't necessarily the most viable option. Uh, it became very expensive very quickly. So I 
would listen to operas on uh, the the Australian the ABC Classic FM for their uh, Sunday night opera broadcast. And they were either broadcast from the Metropolitan Opera in New York or they were recordings from random opera houses or just straight-up recordings. Or occasionally they would broadcast operas performed by Opera Australia. And those are the ones I enjoyed the most because that was that's my national company and I, I now work for that company, as you'll hear in a couple of the other pen stories. Um, actually, all of these stories kind of relate back to sort of operatic experiences, which ties those two worlds of mine together quite nicely. So anyway, I would listen to these operas and I would love listening to them and it would introduce me to Australian singers and to operas I wouldn't normally get the chance to hear or see. And so I wrote a letter to uh, the magazine that the radio station kind of produced. So it was called 24 Hours at that point. It's now called Limelight Magazine. But at that point, it was 24 hours. And they had like a letters to the editor kind of situation. And so here I am at 15 or 16, and I wrote a letter to the, to the editor saying how much I enjoyed these broadcasts and how much I was learning from them and how passionate I was about them and how grateful I was for the opportunity to hear these. And I got letter of the week. And the prize for letter of the week was a Parker Sonnet fountain pen. Like, I literally knew nothing about fountain pens. I didn't use fountain pens. Obviously, I just used ballpoint pens at school. And I was always a stationary nerd. And I had, like, nice pens. I remember, you know, going to office works and stationery stores with my dad and testing all the pens that I could, you know, to find the one I wanted for school. And I, and I thought I was so cool for having, you know, like a nice pen for school. In the end, I just realized I was just a nerd and a geek, but I loved that, and I wear that badge proudly. I got this fountain pen, and I was so scared to waste it. I'm pretty sure it came with a converter, but it came with a cartridge, and so I put the cartridge in the pen, and I really enjoyed it, but I kind of didn't want to waste it, so I kind of didn't use it that often. And as would happen with most of these pens, it dried up, or I ran it out, or something, and it stopped writing. And I was kind of disheartened by that. So I put it in its box and I put it in uh, what was my, at that stage, my art supply closet, which was the little sort of um, cupboard under the stairs. And I forgot about it. Completely forgot about it. I moved on. I moved out of home when I was in my early 20s. And the whole cupboard there under the stairs became, you know, a cupboard for everything. There were cleaning things in there. There were... I took some of my stuff, but I left a whole lot of my art supplies and everything, and they all got pushed to the back of the cupboard and forgotten about. And then in my mid-twenties, I started to get back into fountain pens. Very slowly, but one by one, very slowly back into fountain pens. And I often thought about this Parker sonnet. And so I went to my parents' house, and I emptied out that whole cupboard at one point, looked for this pen. It was not there. Just couldn't be found. And then years later, a couple of years ago now, my parents moved and I went down and I was looking through some of my things at the house and in my old bedroom, there was a box of my things and sitting in that box was my Parker Sonnet. It was gunky and gross and dry, but I brought it home and I cleaned it up and I put a converter in it. I'd lost the original converter and... 
it now writes perfectly again. And so I've got my very first fountain pen back. And I really love that. I love the fact that I'm connected to this pen. As I said, I don't use it that often. It's not a model that now fits what I'm after so much, but it's a pen I really love and respect. And I love that connection with it and the fact that I've got it back now. Um, and it's one I'll never get rid of because of that. So that's why the Parker Sonnet is still in my collection. And that's my story with that pen. The next pen, as I said, is the Parker Jewel Fold Centennial. And so I've got the black one with the chrome trim. It's a beautiful pen. And I've spoken about this pen when I did my Apple Boom Pen and um, Top 3 Pens video uh, for them. I mentioned, talked about this pen and why I have it. So I'll just recap that slightly here. Um, as I said, I want Parker to be a brand that I love because I love a number of Parker pens. I've got an old vac filling pen. I've got some 75s. I've got a 51 yeah, I've got a range of sort of vintage Parker pens that I really enjoy. Um, and I've got a couple of modern Parker pens, like the Sonnet that I mentioned. I've got a Jotter that sits in the cup on my desk if I just need a pen that I can just quickly fill and, you know, use as an everyday writer. It doesn't happen that often that that pen is reached for, but I've got one there. And I've got this Dual Fold Centennial. I've had other Parker pens that I've moved on. The uh, Vector, the Urban, the IM, not great pens. I just don't like them. And that horrible uh, reimagined 51 should just never have happened. But I have this dual fold centennial and I love this pen. I love this pen because it writes beautifully. It's got a great feel in the hand. It's a great size. It's built with quality. And you, you pay for that. It's not an inexpensive pen. And I've thought about selling it a number of times uh, just to help move my collection through. But every time I go to sell it, I'm like, oh, I'll ink it one more time just to like make sure. And as soon as I start writing with it, I go, oh, yeah, no, this I, I can't get rid of this pen yet. But I think a big reason why I can't get rid of it is because of the emotional connection with why I got the pen. As I mentioned, Opera Australia is the national company here in Australia. I'm very privileged to be able to work with that company. Growing up, it was always like, oh, work through the smaller companies and then you'll end up at Opera Australia. And that's kind of what happened. I worked through companies and I still work with these companies, but some of the smaller companies and the, the larger companies in Melbourne and Victoria. Uh, and then I did a, an audition for Opera Australia one day and I got offered a role. It was Chenard in La Boheme and it was at the Opera House, so on their main stage. And it was part of their summer season uh, 2019 into 2020 and so we opened on new year's eve with a, like a gala performance you know with streamers and all that stuff and then went walked outside onto uh, the circular quay there in sydney and watched the beautiful fireworks of the harbour bridge and it was it was a magical magical evening and then we did a run of performances i think 15 more through january uh, and then i was going to go onto another contract with the company and the world had other ideas. Like the universe just had other ideas that year. 2020 changed a lot of things for a lot of people and it definitely changed opera and it definitely changed my career. And so that role and that season meant so much to me because it was one of the last big things I did. In fact, it was the last opera contract that I got through before everything shut down. Once that was done, there was also bushfires that were uh, rampaging through Australia. It was like a horrible bushfire season and so we did a bunch of concerts for charities like I, I did a handful of concerts and performances where we gave our time 
um, and raised huge amounts of money for charities that were supporting the bushfire efforts. And so when the, when the country needed us, we stood up. Performers all over Australia of all kinds, actors, singers, rock musicians, classical musicians, orchestras, everyone was doing everything they could. And then when COVID happened and the performing arts was one of the most hit industries, um, you know, there's no way to work from home with that. We did a bit of online teaching and some of us, you know, got, were creative and, but actually earning money from our, what we did became impossible and a lot of us fell through the cracks in the government system um, and that kind of meant that we were left in the lurch. Um, and so that year changed a lot for a lot of us. It changed a lot of how we perceive things. It changed a lot of how we saw our worth in society. And uh, it's going to take a long time to recover from all of that, both the industry, but also kind of personally as well. This Lab OM that I did in Sydney was the last big contract I did before the pandemic. And whenever I have a major milestone in my career in the last 10 years or so, or just under 10 years, I have marked that by buying a pen. For instance, my Visconti Homo Sapiens Bronze Age was a gift to myself when I was an award-winning finalist in the Herald Sun Aria, which is one of the big aria competitions here in Australia for young singers. I had aspired to getting into that final and I received one of the big awards um, and I had wanted this pen and I got it as a marker of that milestone. And so this Parker Jewel Fold Centennial was my way of marking my company principal debut with Opera Australia uh, in a role I love, in an opera I love. I've got a long history with the opera. It was actually my first sort of full professional role was Chouinard back in 2008 um, as a little 20, I think I was 21, and that was with Melbourne Opera. And so, and then I've done Chouinard a few times and I've done Marcello in that opera a few times. So it's been with me. And so to make my company principal debut with Opera Australia as Chouinard in La Boheme on the main stage of the Sydney Opera House was a big deal. And so I commemorate it by getting the Parker Jewelfold Centennial Fountain Pen. And so this pen is always going to be really special to me because of that. It marked a really big career milestone, but it also marks what was the, in a way, the beginning of one of the most difficult periods of my artistic life. We were struck down from our job. We were struck down from being able to be creative and when everyone was dissing artists and singers and saying like these are not you know priority jobs the first thing everyone was doing when they you know woke up in the morning was putting on netflix and binging and without artists without musicians and without actors and performers none of that could happen so it was this really odd juxtaposition of you are not needed but we need what you do um so yeah, this pen means a lot to me for those reasons and it sort of tied into that. And yeah, that's why I have the Parker Jewel Fold Centennial and that's why I'm keeping this pen. I love writing with it. It's a beautiful writer. It's a classic looking pen. It's gorgeous. It just exudes quality and I appreciate it so much. But also, yeah, that emotional connection there with this pen is pretty strong. Okay, the next pen, I'll take a little divot away from COVID for this one. Um, this is the Faber-Castell Emotion. I have it in that sort of uh, carbon one. 
that they made. This is an interesting pen. It's a pen I wanted for quite a while. It's got an interesting size and form in the hand and the section is a bit strange and it's a bit slick, but it's I really like the design of the pen. I love the, the way the pen writes, that nib, those Faber-Castell steel nibs. They're small nibs, but wow, they write well. Uh, and Faber-Castell do really beautiful things with their fountain pens and it's a brand I really enjoy. Why do I have this pen? Well, this pen uh, marks for me uh, uh, remembering a really interesting trip that I did uh, where I, I was on a family holiday around Europe. I think we'd been to, uh, we'd done a big driving trip around Iceland. I think we'd been to uh, Paris as well uh, and spent a bit of time there. And then we were going around Austria and I was in Vienna. And there's that great pen shop in Vienna that um, on the main sort of strip there, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. I'd been wanting to buy a pen for this holiday. It's another thing I do. Instead of buying souvenirs, I buy a pen. And I'd been looking for this pen for a while, not on this trip, but just in general. And I went out one evening, it was after the shop had closed, but I was, I was out, I needed to get some, you know, groceries or whatever. And I was walking down the street and I walked past the pen shop. I was like, oh yeah, that's where I want to go. I'd done some research. And so I went to look at the opening hours on the door. And I stood by the door and I turned, I was looking at the opening hours and I turned my head and right there in the window was the Faber-Castell pen display, and directly at my eye height was the Emotion in the version I wanted with a medium nib, which is what I wanted. And the price was good, especially after you, you know, like get duty-free and things like that. So my decision was made for me. So the next morning, I got up nice and early at the time the shop opened, and I went in, and it was already busy in there. It was kind of great to see so many people. Like the staff there were rude and like spoke to me like I, I didn't know what I was talking about, which is always a dodgy thing to do. Take Keep that in mind. If you work in a shop and someone comes in as a customer, don't underestimate them. This guy tried to upsell me to other pens. I was like, no, actually, this is the pen I, I want. This is, you know, what I the nib I want and I want to buy this ink and this and... He was talking to me in a super condescending way, and one of the funny things that I remember happening was they had a Lamy Dialogue 3 tester pen on the counter, which is a wild thing to have on the counter as a tester pen, given the price of that pen. And uh, the, the customer next to me was just looking and picked up the Dialogue 3 and was looking at it, and this customer clearly didn't know the Dialogue 3 fountain pen. That's absolutely fine, not everyone will. And he was pulling on the, the, the top of the pen like it was a cap, like really, really pulling on it. Um, and like I froze in my conversation with the, the person that was helping me and said in my best German, you know, ah, don't, you turn it, you turn it. The guy who was helping me kind of looked at me and gave me a bit of a funny look and then took the Dialogue 3 and showed them how to use it. But I just remember that experience of buying the pen and being uh, spoken to the way I was. But... It'll always be a pen I enjoy because, well, firstly, it's a great pen, but also because of that experience of the holiday and the fact that it was, I was in Vienna and I was coaching one of my favorite roles, Don Giovanni, uh, at the Vienna Staatsoper there and um, just with one of the music staff there. And so it was a wonderful trip and something I, I, I really enjoyed. And so being able to get this pen, um, even with the bad customer service, was uh, a highlight of the trip for me. And it's a pen I use regularly uh, because it writes so beautifully. It's got a, one of the best medium nibs going around. 
the Faber-Castell emotion, nice souvenir of a trip that meant a lot to me, but also a bit of a, a funny situation in the store. Okay, the last pen I'm going to talk about today uh, is my Ryan Crusack L16 Dragon Slayer or the Fafner pen that I have here. So this is made with antler with like the laser etched scrimshaw design. It's a really beautiful pen. It's got a big uh, number six uh, steel nib and uh, sort of aged brass section. It's heavy. It's big in the hand. It's bold. It writes beautifully. It's gorgeous. Um, and this pen is important to me for a couple of reasons. Firstly, um, I think it's great to have a pen that has um, a sort of operatic tail in the artwork on the pen. You can find pictures of this on my Instagram, and I'll make a little reel to go along with the podcast here. But the design of the pen has a picture of a dragon fighting a guy. And so the guy is Siegfried, and the dragon is Fafner. And so this story comes from, um, or it's included in, Wagner's Ring Cycle, which is an epic four-opera um extravaganza festival kind of thing that opera companies put on. And I've been involved in a few of them now in one way or another. Uh, I've been very, very uh, lucky for that. Wagner is one of my favourite composers, and I love the Ring Cycle. Um, I've been passionate about it for over 20 years. And so when I got in touch with Ryan about uh, getting one of his pens, I was just discussing the options, and somehow it came up that I was an opera singer. And so he was like, oh, I know the perfect pen for you, and showed me this design. I was like, absolutely, that's the one I want. Let's make this happen. With custom pen makers... Often, there's a bit of a delay in getting the pens. And this one arrived a couple of days after I left to go on tour. So I was expecting to go away for four weeks. So we rehearsed in Sydney. Then we came down to open in Melbourne. So I'd be at home for a couple of weeks. Then we go off and do a little bit of the tour, come back to Melbourne for a couple of days, do a bit of Victoria, and then head off around New South Wales, Tasmania, and the ACT, or the Australian Capital Territory, to Canberra. But this was 2021. So the, the tour for 2020 was cancelled. And generally these tours last about two to three months. So what they decided to do in 2021 was combine the 2020 tour and the 2021 tour which meant that instead of just going around three states, we'd go all the way around Australia. So we'd end up going through the Queensland, Northern Territory, Western Australia as well. So just covering the entire country, basically, instead of splitting the, the country in across two years, they do one year and do everything. So suddenly this became a month and then two weeks and then like four months, um, almost four months of touring, which is a great gig, great job. And I, I love my tours I do with Opera Australia. This was after that first year of the pandemic and people thought things were on the mend, but this was also when COVID started to like just pop up occasionally again and states in Australia were kind of doing like snap lockdowns. I had ordered this pen and I expected it to arrive while I was away for that initial period and I'd get it when I came back and then I'd review it after tour. That was my plan. And then, as I said, 2021 had different ideas we had done that initial four weeks of rehearsals in Sydney and then we came down to Melbourne and it was while we we're in Melbourne that COVID just sort of started to like pop up again and it was when we went away on that little 10-day stretch of performances around Melbourne um, that things got bad and we weren't able to return home. Most of the singers in this company were from Sydney and they had they were prepared to be on the road 
for the entire four and a half months. They'd packed for that, they were ready to go. Me, on the other hand, I had packed in this instance to be on the road for 10 days before coming home to like get the proper suitcase of stuff to go on the road for four months. And it was while we were away on that 10 days that this pen arrived and um, a friend of mine collected it and was looking after it for me. And um, then I was stuck. I had only packed for 10 days and we're told, nope, we're, we're, we need to leave Victoria by tonight. You need to get on the road. And so the bus was just going to basically divert through one town so we could all get tested for COVID before we moved straight on to Victor- uh, out of Victoria into New South Wales. And so I had a friend meet me with, I had to phone them and say, can you go to my house, just like randomly pack me a bunch of stuff, like chuck it all in your car and I'll meet you on the side of the road if you can come to this other town. I was so grateful for them doing this and I'd just repack on the side of the road as much as I could. So they went around my house and they threw, you know, my medications in a bag and they put a bunch of random clothes and, you know, um, a bunch of sort of bits and pieces that I said I'd need, you know, like a, a different charger and I'd need this and I'd need that. And they kind of put it all together. They met me in this town on the side of the road was just transferring stuff suitcase to suitcase. And then we had to get on the bus and get out of Victoria. I didn't know, but my friend had put my mail in my suitcase. And so when we got into New South Wales, I'm unpacking uh, my bag and sitting in my bag is some envelopes and a box. And in the box was this pen from Ryan Crusack. I have opened it up in Albury in New South Wales in this weird little motel. Then this pen toured with me all the way around Australia. Uh, I'd, I only had one other pen with me for that tour. It was the Estabrook Camden So I was grateful to have a second pen, um, and what a second pen it was. Like, luxurious stuff for touring. I normally tour with sort of, yeah, the Estabrook Camden is a a tour pen of mine because it's robust and it's kind of like no frills, and I love that pen. Um, But having this beautiful, like, moose antler scrimshaw pen, you know, on tour with me was quite a luxury, and I really enjoyed that. So this pen toured with me, but like it's part of a fun story of having to flee a state and just randomly finding this in the bottom of my suitcase because it had been randomly packed for me by my friend. And I love this pen, and I I like the fact that uh, it's tied to sort of that time. And that was an amazing tour. We saw so much of the country, and yeah, while we did like little stints of like little lockdowns in hotels and trying to avoid COVID and had to flee states and cancel shows. We still got to be on the road doing what we love and we still got to experience the country. And while a lot of people were doing serious periods of lockdown, like Victoria, where I live, had more lockdowns than anywhere else in Australia. And in fact, when we got back from tour, I went straight into a lockdown. The ability to see so much of the country in that year was really, really wonderful and an experience I will never forget. And I got to do it with this pen. So not only does it tell an operatic story in the artwork, but it is part of one of my operatic stories. And that's one of the things I love about this hobby and this pen and enjoying it all. So that was four personal pens of mine and the story behind them. The Parker Sonnet, my first fountain pen that went missing for close to 20 years that uh, I finally got back and can now use again. My Parker Jewel Fold Centennial that marked a really big career milestone of, um, you know, my principal debut with Opera Australia, uh, once again, just before COVID sort of wiped things out. The Faber-Castell emotion uh, for being 
in one of my favorite parts of the world, coaching one of my favorite roles at one of the most famous opera houses. Uh, and then, of course, the Ryan Krusak L16 Dragon Sayer for being just a remarkable pen that ties opera and pens together for me so well, both in terms of the pen itself and also the story behind it. So that was this fortnight's episode. Thank you for listening. Please like and subscribe. Follow. Please pass this on to your friends. You know, spread the word about this podcast. Next season is going to be a little bit different. I've got a couple of episodes left of this season. Uh, and next episode, I'll be interviewing uh, the, the folks from My Paperclip Australia, which is a notebook brand that I adore. Uh, they make beautiful notebooks that, like, the notes for this episode were written in my executive series notebook from My Paperclip Australia. I'm really enjoying using them uh, and promoting them and also just being, you know, like part of their story. It's And so I want to hear about their story, why they came to be, what they see the company doing, you know, how they found the papers they use and all those kinds of things. So yeah, I'll be talking to them in the next episode. So looking forward to that. Next season's going to be a little bit different. I want to, uh, I've got some broader stroke things I want to sort of talk about. I, I want to talk about why companies like Parker are no longer the powerhouses that they were. I want to talk about imitation pens or pens inspired by other pens, particularly those produced from companies in places like China. Uh, I want to in, you know, discuss that with people, and I've got some really interesting guests uh, that uh, are high up in industry that I want to talk to in the next season uh, who are all showing interest. So now's a really, really great time to follow and subscribe and go back and listen to the episodes you haven't listened to. But yes, that'll be my future for season two of this podcast. But yeah, so next week, or next fortnight, talking to the team from My Paperclip Australia. And then one more episode after that, which will be a bit of a wrap up. So stay tuned for that one. So thank you so much. And uh, until next episode, I'll talk to you soon.